to yeah change. you need to change because i realized that i i'm i'm basically doing fantasy island right <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to fantasy, fantasy banter <laughs> <laughs> i am tattoo Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Well, welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. I am Rob Minot, and with me today, as usual, Ryan Fleury. I'm Ryan Flurry and Steve Barkley. Hello, and another special in-studio guest. Two weeks in a row, we have Elaine Holtham with us. Oh. Yay. Yay! Was I two weeks in a row? My goodness, nope. This is my first appearance. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean we've we've had we had this in-studio guest last week too. Ah, uh, okay. We're on a roll. Ooh, okay. Yeah, we are, and uh, yeah, for those who don't know, which is probably everybody outside this room. Uh, Elaine has a very, very rich history with both us and Aroga Technologies. And the AAC world. And the AAC world. Absolutely. Elaine is the long-standing guru of AAC in Canada. Well, I wouldn't... Well, I don't know. About, anyways, I wouldn't say I was a guru, but I have been involved for a long time. <laughs> well, I, I think you get the guru designation just for having survived in it as long uh, as you have. Yeah, I guess, I guess. Is there is there anybody in the AC industry in Canada as far on the vendor side that's been around as long as you have? Oh, maybe not on the vendor side. No. Yeah. No, mm. Not a oh, Well, yeah, I guess not. You're, I suppose not. Your last yeah. woman standing. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting today, so I'm good. <laughs> well, we should step it back a little bit just in case we have people listening who a, the, the acronym AAC means absolutely nothing to them. Uh, and we should step it back and say that today we are going to be talking about AAC, which stands for? Alternative and Augmentative Communication. Say that 10 times fast. Okay. Nope. Alternative and <laughs> Augmentative Communication, AAC. <laughs> That's right. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, what it is, where, what the history is behind it, where it's, where it's come from, maybe where it's going, um, and just maybe some of uh, Elaine's experiences uh, dealing with it for I don't know, how many years? Um, I started with Aroga in 1993, so probably since then. So how many years does oh, that make, make it? You do math. 24 years? All right. 20. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. 23, 20, I guess. 23. 23. 20, 23 right now. Yeah. Going on 24. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm almost positive that a lot has changed since, since those early days. Oh, definitely. Um, my beginnings, of course, didn't start right in AAC because Arogo, when we first got involved uh, with Prenke Romic Company, uh, we had a speech-language pathologist on staff, so she pretty much did the AAC. And then when she left on maternity leave and didn't come back, then that's when I sort of stepped in. So it's probably been about 1996 or so when I actually got involved with AAC uh, on a more personal basis, on a one-to-one, face-to-face basis. Right. So... In a, in layman's terms, what exactly is AAC? Like, what what kind of devices are they, and, and who are they for? Well, AAC takes on a, um, a much different way. Most people think of devices when it comes to AAC, but really, um, it can be. It's just an alternative way of communicating. So it can be signing. It can be using manual boards. So they're sort of like low tech type of solutions for AAC. And then you can also get into uh, higher tech, which, which which includes communication devices. So there's really lots of different um, ways that you can look at alternative and augmentative communication. But of course, Aroga um, has been involved with Prenke Romic Company. That's been our main way of, of um, our introduction to AAC is with, through Prenke Romic Company. And they've been, I think this year, they're celebrating their 50th year anniversary um, of wow. being involved in AAC. Do you want to, do you want to give a kind of a uh, overview of Prentke Romic Company and what they've done over the years? 
Well, I think they were the premier company that started um, in the field of AAC. Um, I guess it was Ed Prentke and uh, Barry Romick, who was a, a graduate student, I believe, who um, really started to he they're in engineering and wanted to start a company. And I'm not sure how they actually got involved with doing a communication device. Um, I can't remember the exact history on it, but they did build a great big huge board um, that they put on somebody's wheelchair that had some pictures or and had some words on it. And it really wasn't anything to do with speaking. It didn't have a speech output. It was just a board. Um, and people, I guess, pointed to it or indicated what it was like that. Um, now, I believe um, Barry Romick is still around, but I think Ed Prenke died maybe a year or two ago. I'm, I'm going to be jumping in and assuming that, I, I believe, because he was, last time I saw him, he was in his 90s, so I, I think he's maybe passed on by now. Um, but yeah, they, they sort of got involved. And now, so It's my understanding that their original communication device wasn't all that popular and that it really didn't get any legs until they made the connection with um, uh, Bruce Baker and Semantic Compaction Corporation and actually started to use different systems yeah. Uh, representing language. Um, I think, um, well, I don't, again, can't remember the exact involvement when Bruce Baker, who uh, from Semantic Compactions, got involved with uh, the Prentke Romick company to come up with a, a communication system that's being used, still being used um, by a lot of folks. Um, so we can sort of talk about Semantic Compactions and Bruce somewhere along the way. But yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting field and how it's all evolved. Um, um, but I do believe um, the first communication system was was not a speech output at all. It was just a, a man, big manual board, and then it went from there to be um, speech output. And the the original speech output on these devices was horrible. But because nobody had ever had it before, it was like state of the art at those in those days. So so what year would 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 the big board have been developed? Like what well, it would have been about fifty years ago. It would wow. have been 50, because that's how long Prenke Romick's been around. It's about 50 years, and I think that was the original board that they did. I mean, I sort of, when I came into the field, um, uh, Minspeak, or the, the system that Bruce Baker developed, was already in existence. So um, that past history is something that was before my time. Right. And so I don't really know how it all came to be, uh, the exact sort of... Um, years and, and involvement of how it went. I just sort of know from from hearing from what people said about how it was. And, and these guys were the first to really come up with this yeah. idea and refine it. As, as far as I know, they were the first ones, the first company that developed this sort of thing. I imagine prior to that, there were boards that people pointed to or, um, you know, alphabet boards that people had rudimentary ways of, of spelling a word or indicating a word. Um, I guess in those days also there was a lot of yes and no type questions and people just used um, a sort of an eye gaze or a, a, a way of indicating that yes, that was the, what they wanted to say. And so there was the control for, for speaking was in the, in the facilitator and not necessarily in the person who was trying to communicate. Right. And so these devices, are, are they, what's sort of the main disability that, that you find that people require these? Is it, is it autism? Is it? Well, it's certainly evolved over the time, but I think it was originally um, built for people with cerebral palsy. Okay. And so that was uh, what you saw. There was a lot of, um, I guess, birth uh, injuries and um, where people um, in their younger years weren't able to speak and had some physical involvements and stuff. And so I think that's what the originally was the, the main focus of the people, the, the clientele that were using those. And I mean, Steve's been in this as well for as many years or if not more than me. So he sort of has some idea as well of meeting some of the folks that had, you know, you know what disabilities they had. Yeah, I started out on the repair side though, so I didn't really have a lot of interactions with the uh, with the users until late, quite a bit later on. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I remember uh, when I started out with Aroga, we were repairing intro talkers and touch talkers and light talkers, which were all uh, you know spe speech output devices. The intro talker was recorded speech. Mm -hmm. um, you would uh, record onto onto buttons, and you'd have up to. 
16 location? I think it was, yeah, 4, 8, and 16 was the intro talker. Yeah, so yeah. You, you could have potentially up to 16 recordings uh, on on uh, the device. Yeah, and there was two types of intertalkers. There was one that scanned, and when I say scanning, it it means that it, the the light there again it had a light on it, and so it automatically moved from square to square. And when you wanted that, then there was a mechanical switch that was attached to the device, and you hit the switch, and then it chose the square for you. So they actually had two different types of intertalkers at that time. Some for people who could directly press the key, and those people who were scanners. Nothing as sophisticated as we have in this day and age. And what year would that have been? Uh, around 1990. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So still a pretty rudimentary device even then. Yeah, yeah. And they actually had even more rudimentary devices that I occasionally saw. Uh, there was one that, uh, it was a scanning device that scanned around in a circle, and I don't remember the name of that device. It was before it was my a, time again. It was a bigger device, and it, it was circular, and, and the the lights just went from location to location around the the circle and just kept going until you hit the hit the button to select a, a location. I don't don't recall the name of that though. But uh, even at that point, was was there any sort of speech synthesizer around? Yeah, at the yep. same at the same time, there was the the touch talker and the light talker. Uh, those were the two most. Um, uh, popular devices that we had back then and they had you put a card in them and you it made them uh, s smooth talk was the was the synthetic speech engine at that time and it was not very smooth yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say <laughs> it sounded kind of mechanical it was actually worse than that is that right it was oh it, and but people were just so impressed because mm. it was actually speech output nobody had ever come across speech output before and I don't know who actually developed Smooth Talk. I don't recall either. No. Yeah. Recall. Yeah. There were a lot of small companies making speech output uh, devices back then, um, and a I lot know. of them, a lot of them were very niche and didn't go very far. Yeah, I don't remember much of in the way of other devices. And, you know, Prenkyromic just, I mean, it, it's interesting when you think about the devices way back then. I mean, they've advanced these days, but I mean, the the ways to access the device haven't really changed all that much. I mean, people's needs haven't changed all that much. There's You still have people who are quite physically involved that really need to use something like scanning in order to be able to access the device. So the fact that the 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 device itself moves automatically through keys and the person selects it was at basis of that way back when and is still the basis of that today. But I mean, today we have much more sophisticated systems in that we have uh, head pointing systems or we have um, eye tracking systems. So we have additional things, but the basis of, of actually accessing the device is quite similar to what it was. Would those original devices like been built on DOS or what were they built on? No, they, they didn't really run an operating system. They, they were... Um, basically hardwired electronics okay. um, that uh, yeah they were uh, dedicated were single, single purpose they yeah. were they were strictly uh, for communication and they were built from the ground up by by PRC right um, I remember touring their their plant once and uh, seeing all of the uh, machinery that they had to to uh, build these things and uh, yeah they built them you know they they designed the circuit boards they built the circuit boards they built the you know put all the components on them they soldered them all on by hand Hmm. Um, and, uh, and assembled the units, uh, you know, they had plastic extrusion machines for making the cases for hmm. them. Um, but it was all done in house and it was, uh, it was all, uh, um, uh, you know, at the time pretty, pretty state of the art stuff. It was, wow. it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm not sure when some of the other companies started building their devices cause there was the Epson um, at that time as well. Um, there yeah. was another company built that. It was an Epson, and I can't even remember what it was. What Anyways, was and there was also a Canon communicator. So there were a few other um, devices out there, but there was... Um, the Epson was mostly used by folks who were literate because I think it was a spelling type of machine. It was, yeah, yeah you had to uh, type that, in on that one. Yeah. It had a little LCD screen on it yeah. and, and a speech output module. Yeah. Um, and then the Canon communicator was also a, a, a very small typing uh, keyboard, and it uh, it printed out the messages on uh, thermal tape. 
Little, oh, really? little ticker tapes. Yeah, little, little ticker tape came out of the yeah. thing. Yeah, and you would hand that to somebody who didn't have any speech <laughs> output. You would just hand the ticker tape or somebody would take the ticker tape and read it. Yeah. And that was their way of communicating. But it was very, very portable. It was very small, so people liked it a lot. So um, I think the, one of the biggest evolutions was uh, when the speech changed from smooth talk to deck talk. Um, and I can't remember what does deck talk stand for again? Uh, digital Digital equipment equipment corporation. It was, it was built by digital equipment corporation and, uh, um, it was just so much better than the the speech we had (laughs) prior to it. So what year would that been developed? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't remember. Late nineties, I would think. Cause it smooth talk was around when I was originally there uh, starting up. So, and I would think deck probably came in three to four years later. So I'm going to say nineties because when I, I first got my jaws, it was eloquence in 1997. So before that, and even up till past that deck talk was still around and relevant. So I'd say probably even early nineties, if not earlier. Maybe, maybe. I think we have our fact checker looking it up right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm curious, actually. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, talk. Uh, it was actually developed in the early 1980s. Hmm. Uh, it was most notably used in the U.S. National Weather Service's first console replacement system installations in the late 1990s. Hmm. Yeah. I thought it was probably mid to late mm-hmm. 90s that we actually got them in our devices and right. stuff. But, um, yeah, so Steve sort of made a, some little inference to um, Bruce Baker. And uh, I guess when the first communication systems that Prenke Romick produced, they didn't really have any basis to them. There wasn't a communication system on them. And um, as we communication systems as we know them today. And so I think it was, I don't know when they, Bruce Baker actually approached Prenke Romick, but he in the, on his side was de- trying to develop something. Um, he was doing a dissertation and wanted to um, interview some folks with disabilities to see how they were able to communicate. Um, in the world. And so he developed some sort of a system that used um, whole sentences and phrases in order for people to be able to communicate their thoughts and feelings. But when he actually went to interview them, um, of course, if you have a whole bunch of pat phrases and stuff, they're never the ones that people want to speak about. And so he wasn't really able to communicate with them because the phrases that sentences that he thought that they wanted to say were not the things that they wanted to say at all. Um, and so he sort of tried to come and devise some sort of a system where people could use whole words and able to communicate. And so he came up, um, and it is patented with the name of MinSpeak, which is minimum effort speech. And it's so the ability to use multi-meaning icons um, in combination with each other to produce words and um, it it's, has its controversial sort of uh, uh, bent where there's been a lot of um, criticism of it, and yet there's a lot of people who see its power. So, And it still exists today. Um, it's gone through many, many changes. Um, just, just just, as, sorry, as, just, just out of curiosity, what's, what's the controversy behind it? Like what? Um, hard to learn. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah the and they, criticism uh, is that people, people say it's difficult to learn, but I, I think... I, I don't know how valid a criticism that is because the alternatives to it are actually in, in a lot of cases carry a much higher cognitive load. One of the, one of the advantages to MinSpeak is that um, the, the symbols always stay in the same place. So, yeah, and the same symbols are used throughout the whole, as you grow in your language, uh, the symbols remain the same. So you're not having to unlearn and relearn a different symbol set. Um, today with Unity, um, in days gone by, when MinSpeak first came out, there were m- what we call many um, MinSpeak application programs or maps, and they did have different symbol systems for um, different ages and stages of people's lives. And so oftentimes when you outgrew something like power and play, um, then you then had to move on to language learning, LLL, or you went to maybe what Bruce's was, was word strategy. So there was a lot of changing um, of um, systems. And so um, Prenke Romick, um, in their wisdom, put together a team of speech-language pathologists along with Bruce Baker and some other folks to come up with a system called Unity, which uses MinSpeak as its base, but then allows um, the, same, the use of the same symbols um, from, from early 
childhood all the way through to adulthood. And so people are not having to change it up all the time. So, um, and unity is, 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 isn't some of the criticisms I hear about, um, symbol sets are people can't understand the kind of symbols. Why are using this symbol to represent this? Right. So yeah, actually that was my, my kind of question was, is, can you explain what, what the notion of a symbol is and, and just how well, because uh, when you start at a very young age, um, you are not literate, so you have to use a graphic-based uh, system in order to be able to um, get folks using the, the system early. Um, and so the symbols themselves are chosen for their multi-meaningness so that when you can combine them with another symbol or another graphic, uh, sorry, grammar type of icon, that you do get words. And so... Bruce, when he built the system, wanted to use the, the least amount of symbols to get the maximum amount of words. And so he was sort of basing it a little bit on hieroglyphics, um, to be or not to be, you know, those, that sort of stuff. So you, you have to sort of know from the history from him, his building it, that he chose the symbols for much more than just, um, a picture. Um, they had to mean much more. And, and we all, all know that, uh, what is that saying? A picture means a thousand words. Right. So he was going and using that kind of thing. Yeah. So an example might be the, the apple. Um, the apple can mean, uh, well, on a MinSpeak device, the apple is colored red. So it can mean red. Uh, it can mean food. Um, but, but there's it, also those sort of little um, idioms that go on, like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So, you know, it can have something to do with school. Um, so, or it, we also know that apples grow on trees. So there's a lot of nature with that. Apples fall down, um, you know, so, and they're red and they're round and, you know, there's, and they're sweet and they're delicious. So there's lots of connotations around a simple apple symbol. Um, and so it doesn't actually just stand for apple. Um, on other systems, they use the, the symbol of an apple to stand for the word apple. But when you consider the English language and you, and the amount of words that we have in the English language, the amount of symbols that we would have for each of those words would be a, a momentous type of system that you'd have to build in order to represent every single word in the English language. So that's why his, his in wanting to use multi-meaning and the least amount of uh, symbols that he could in order to be able to represent the most amount of words. So your child points out an apple and you're playing 20 questions now with your child trying to figure out what it is they want. Well, in some ways, yeah. but again, it's the com it's a combination of using that apple with another symbol. So right. you've got Mr. Action Man, and he's the one that the, the action associated with that um, icon. And so the action to do with apple is what do you do with an apple? I'll eat it. You eat it. So that's the action associated with <laughs> okay. it. Okay. And it belongs to, as a noun, it's a food group. So it belongs to the food group. Right. And then when you look at an adjective of an apple, it's usually delicious. Right. Okay. Or you want, or you, what, what do you, how do you feel when you want an apple? So the description of it right. was you'd be hungry. Right. So, okay. um, you know, so those sorts of things. And he uses that same uh, paradigm, that same patterning with all icons. And right. so if you look at a bed, um, what do you do in a bed? Generally, you sleep. OK. And how do you feel when you want to go to bed? You're tired. So okay. that's a description and it belongs to a furniture group. So if you use that same patterning with all of the icons that he uses, then it's, it starts to make sense. Right. And it really makes sense to kids. Um, it doesn't make sense to adults sometimes who are trying to teach the kids because they come with a preconceived idea of what that icon should mean right. or could mean, and therefore they have a difficulty understanding the patterning and the paradigming. So that again, that's one of the reasons I find that people have a, a lot of um, bias towards it is because they have a preconceived idea right. rather than just taking it as it is and having fun with it and teaching it and cool. all those sorts of things. So. Once it's mastered, it's incredible the speed that people can communicate at with it. Um, you know, I've, I've carried on real-time conversations with people using these devices, and, and they can respond almost as quickly as somebody speaking. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a delay, mm -hmm. but they have access to a huge vocabulary of words. And uh, um, one of the other really powerful things about uh, MinSpeak and Unity is that um, because the icons stay in the same place all the time, um, you can you you build mo you're you're essentially developing motor planning. So 
somebody can communicate on a print keramic device um, without actually looking at the device. And I've had, um, you know, Elaine mentioned earlier, some of the earlier devices actually had paper overlays. So you, you slid this piece of paper and it had all the pictures of the symbols on it. And that's how you got your reference for, you know, because there were buttons underneath each, each symbol. That's how you knew which button to press for, for any given symbol. Well, I've, I've had a conversation with a fellow who had basically been using the device for so long, he just discarded with the paper overlay. He just knew <laughs> where the locations were, wow. and he operated it with his feet. Wow. Wow. Yeah, you see some pretty amazing when you start going to conferences and uh, there is a conference coming up in August in Toronto called Isaac um, International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication and a lot of communicators I don't like to call them users but that seems to be the typical name for them a group that's local here the cool communicators didn't want to call themselves users <laughs> because it sounded like they were on a drugs all the time <laughs> Fair enough. So, okay. I, so I try and call them communicators <laughs> but it's uh, it's quite interesting that some of the things that you how powerful you get to see folks that are using Unity and and uh, and they just fly through their systems because um, and as Steve says with the motor planning or the automaticity that comes with it that they their fingers or their eyes will automatically move to those keys the next key that they want when when even when they're saying a word they're automatically moving to the next word or the next icon in order to be able to continue on with that. So it is when you get a chance to meet up with folks who are using Unity-based systems, it's quite, quite powerful. It's quite moving mm -hmm. um, for individuals who have never so, seen it before. So it sounds like there, when a device is first introduced, it sounds like there's training for, for both the, the, the communicator and as well as the caregivers. Is that, is that right? Um, you, generally speaking, a device like this is going to be implemented with a speech language pathologist doing the, the majority of the heavy lifting and, and planning of vocabulary, you know, what, what that person needs access to, what, you know, and, and what order they're going to be taught, uh, taught in. Um, so, um, yes, there, there is training on both sides. This, obviously the speech language pathologist needs to be familiar with the device in order to teach it to somebody else. Um, so it's, it's really critical that they have that, that knowledge. So Elaine spends a lot of her time teaching SLPs, arranging workshops, yeah. providing support. Yeah. Is there a lot of training, say, for the parent? Yep. Parents are like in the past, we did a lot of training. Um, yeah, it's sort of folks that are really knowledgeable and now really don't need as much, but I'm not doing as many trainings as I used to do, but we used to do a lot of trainings and parents were always welcome to come. Anybody that was involved in the team would, would be welcome to come so that they everybody would have a knowledge of being able to use the system in order to be able to cue the individual for a word that they might want to say so that they have some ways of being able to get at it so they're not just stumbling through being able to find it on their own many many we're, we're going to i'm going to say kids now who are who have been introduced to the system will do a lot of self-exploration on the device itself and be able to find the words once they know the patterns of how things in that sort of the icon of what it stands for they'll they'll just go ahead and play on the device and say oh my goodness that's what that's how i say that word and then they remember it and away they go right yeah and the device are so much more advanced now than they they were in the early days you know they're all um, built over top of modern operating systems and right. uh, they're, they're basically running as applications over top of uh, you know platforms like Windows or, or Android and um, um, they have uh, features built into them now so if somebody's trying to say a particular word they can actually type in the word and it'll tell them what the symbols are for it oh, so that they can go back and say, okay, well, that that's where it is now, you know. So, so the late '90s, then, from the sense I'm getting, is really when things started to change. That's when Deck Talk came in, and that's when MinSpeak started oh, no. to be used. Or? Oh, I think MinSpeak was around before that. Um, but I mean, Deck just made the devices nicer sounding, and so people were using it. I mean, Touch Talkers had been around. I don't know when the first Touch Talker came out. As 
I think they were in the 80s somewhere. Yeah. 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 I think the Touch Talkers were already in existence when Aroga got involved with Pret Key Rom and Company at the end of 1980s, 1987, I believe it was. So, yeah, so they've been around for a while. But I think as time went on in the 90s, we got more sophisticated devices. We moved away from Touch Talkers and they went into the Liberator and the Delta Talker. Um, and the Alpha Talker came into existence, and so there was the sophistication of a, of a more advanced system and uh, a system that made it easier for people to use because there wasn't so much um, technical support needed. They were a little bit easier to, to deal with in order to be able to program them or do changes and stuff like that. So, and we also got like LCD screens on them, so you could actually get some uh, see what you were doing. Whereas the Touch Talker had a little bit of a, a screen, but you you didn't really get the same sort of sense. And so so the sophistication of the technology really increased as in the 90s. Um, yeah. You got much of a liberator, uh, really opened the door for a lot of people. You went up to 144 locations, whereas I think before that, 84, I think, was it? Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's been a lot of advances. And, and then, of course, with dynamic displays, that was another huge, huge um, uh, move towards a more sophisticated system. And so we saw the Vantages and the Vanguards come into play where you had one great big, huge dis display, LCD display. And so um, there was no longer keys on the screen. So you weren't pressing keys. You were pressing a display. And it was uh, switching to another page automatically. So there was a lot so of things touch, happening. Touch, touch, touch screens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And the access methods have become a lot more sophisticated too. You know, going back again to the, the touch talker, light talker days, you had either direct selection where you're pressing the buttons, you had uh, row column scanning, um, you had uh, joystick access, uh, you could do single or dual switch uh, scanning. Uh, and then they did have a head pointer for it as well. There was an infrared head pointer, which was wired to the device. And you wore a, uh, a little infrared emitter on your uh, on the side of your head. And you could point at the lights and you would see a, an LED light up on whichever key you were selecting. And then if you either hit a switch or waited long enough on that uh, location, it would activate that location for you. Um, since then, we've added things like... Um, uh, head pointing, as Elaine mentioned, where you, you wear a little silverized uh, dot, uh, you know, sometimes on, on a pair of glasses or on your forehead or on a hat, and the device tracks your head movement and uh, um, lights up whichever key corresponds to where you're, you're pointing. Um, and now, most recently, the, the big step forward is eye gaze technology, where you can actually look at the keys and it'll it'll select a key for you and you can uh, in some cases you can blink to activate that location um and that's that's really important because there there are you know certain conditions like uh, ALS where somebody over time will lose their ability to to move their head uh, so they can't use head pointing technology anymore they might not be able to use a switch reliably anymore um, but their eye movement is uh, is still intact, uh, intact, and and uh, allows them to uh, have a means of communication. Where in, in the past, there really weren't a lot of options short of um, you know manual boards standing in front of them and having them look at different quadrants to try and figure out what they were what they were trying to say, which is really really tedious. Right. Yeah. So there's been there has been some. There's been some major changes in the way of access, um, and yet there hasn't been. I mean, some of the original s systems that we saw, you know, provided the kind of access that people still need and, and they're still using when it comes to scanning and, and uh, head pointing and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, but, the, you know, in some ways we've uh, advanced in the technology. The, the, the communication systems that uh, individuals need, are still the same, but in in now using um, touch tablets, we now get into being able to access our own email and get on the internet and, and all those sorts of things. So it's another mode of communication, but when it comes to face-to-face, -face, it really hasn't changed much in the years, over the years. And so it's quite interesting. Sometimes the more advanced technology, I think, complicates things for people because it makes... 
people sort of move away from supporting somebody and getting up and going on their communication systems and moves to trying to get them on email and Facebook and doing all those sorts of things where yeah, the sense of just knowing their system and knowing how to use it and communicate with it is much more powerful than actually, you know, being on some of the social media uh, sites, etc. So, I mean, there's sort of food for thought, and I think people, again, would be... Well, uh, would have some discussion around that and would spend some time about it's all a mode of communication and what is more important for the individual. So, um, but with face to face, if you if you can't communicate, you're not taken seriously. I mean, somebody would would judge you if you couldn't be able to talk to them in some form or another because they would just assume that you didn't know how to talk or you didn't have any intelligence in being able to talk. So, you know, there's some really some dynamics that people have to give some hard and fast thought to when it comes to providing uh, support and teaching a a system to somebody. Well, and it's got, you know, it's got to be incredibly frustrating for somebody to not have a way of communicating. Yeah. Yeah. As I said before, you know, it's it. There, some of the communicators that I've met over the years have amazing stories and have written books on it and they've done movies and stuff. So, um, yeah, you just have to sort of step back and put yourself in their shoes and figure out what you, what you need to do in order to help them become the kind of people that they want to be. It brings in another thing about literacy. If you can teach somebody how to spell and be able to spell words, then in combination with a system, spelling is not as quick as using MinSpeak or Unity, but it does give you access to those words that you don't have in your system. So there is a big push to become literate as well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have to bring up when it comes to using Unity and MinSpeak, and we're all these days core core words is the big buzz for all of us um, vendors or the d- folks that are building communication systems everybody's got the buzzword of core vocabulary and one thing that um, bruce baker put into his systems long before anybody else did everybody was always phrase and sentence based is things like i want and then combine it with to play a game to eat an apple you know to go outside so they sort of did a phrase combination type of thing but again you cannot predict everything that somebody's going to be able to say and they've now done a lot of studies on on analyzing what people actually do say on a routine basis every day every common person says and what they what they're doing is they're saying core core vocabulary and core words are make up 85 to 90 percent of all of our vocabulary in a day of what we say and if you actually did a sample a language sample of what people say you'll find out that most of the words are pronouns preverbs, verbs, and adjectives, and those are really hard to represent with a picture. So if I said the word want, and I wanted to conjure up an icon for the word want, nobody in a, in a room would agree that of the same icon for that word. So um, when Bruce Baker actually created a system so that he could do it, yes, he chose an icon that some people may not agree with, but again, he was able to create a system based on core vocabulary. So he had a patterning to do pronouns and pronoun preverb phrases and all those things. Like when you think of it, verbs, there isn't uh, much in the way of verbs that can be represented presented by a single icon that would be universal to be able to understand it. So, yeah, so you have to sort of take all that into consideration. So a unity-based system, I always thought that Bruce Baker was quite a genius in the way he he developed um, MinSpeak at the beginning and, and the icons that he used. And um, they haven't changed much over the years. They've stayed the same and they've just built on those icons that he originally chose. So yeah. quite, quite amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, as I said, the the core vocabulary has become a a sort of a a buzz phrase word, a buzzword that people are now building into their systems. Some of the other vendors are doing that. Bruce was so far ahead of that yeah. curve. He he recognized that the majority of language was was based around roughly 400 words and uh, set about giving access to those 400 words. And then everything else was really peripheral to that. Yeah, it'd be interesting for people just to stop and listen to what they say and actually write down the sentences that they say as they say them and just look at the words that they're saying. Very few nouns. I mean, our whole conversation today, have we actually talked about 
But the only thing we talked about was Apple because it was an icon. But when you look at fringe words, which are nouns, we haven't said a whole lot of them in this whole conversation. It's been quite amazing. We haven't talked about specifics. Yeah, unless we were talking about specific products. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at systems that people developed, especially in the past, I think people are getting a lot better at what they were doing it. If if somebody was going for um, a meal, they would put all the food-related words on the on the page and yet you know so people would just sort of point to to words and so again the control of the communication was in the person who was facilitating it so they would ask the kids what do you want to eat and they would then point to the apple or whatever um and and those sorts of things so it's much different now um in the way that you ask questions and you teach somebody the the system and uh and get them started on it so it's it's quite amazing so it strikes me as if that wasn't hard enough to develop a system, you're also trying to build a device for a variety of people who have different needs in terms of access, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's why they partnered up with Prenkiromic Company, who were building the hardware. And so Bruce then approached Prenkiromic in order to be able to have his system of words be able to put on something electronically so that they would it would be done automatically instead of uh, on a, it's very hard when you're trying to combine icons without having speech output come out or something happen in order to indicate that this is what you want so I, I think that's when that partnership um, developed in that Bruce um, put his his minspeak systems on an electronic device and again, that was before my time. Right. So by the time you came on, really, there they had a device that pretty much anybody could could access. Any sort of within limits, yeah. 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 I can't say the word anybody, but the majority of people would be able to do it in order to be able to access the device. Again, there's some physical limitations when you only have scanning and um, the light talker did allow with a light pointer for people to move their head around and select it. But again, depending on the physical involvement of the individual who was trying to, to access the device, there were those individuals that the device itself didn't meet their needs, but there was still ways of doing it. I think it just brought um, uh, using communication devices to the forefront that there was more possibilities for people to be able to, to use them than there were in the past. And I think most importantly, what it did is it also started to teach people that um, assumptions that they were making about people with disabilities were wrong. Um, You know, a a lot of, uh, for a lot of years, everybody assumed that people who had cerebral palsy, for example, also had uh, mental retardation of some Some cognitive cognitive challenges as well. yeah. Yeah. And in... A huge number of cases. There, there's no none of that at all. You know, they have uh, you know oftentimes severe physical restrictions, um, but cognitively they're sharp as a, sharp yeah. as attack. Brighter, brighter than yeah. And and how how demoralizing must it have been to be one of those people in a wheelchair having people treat you like you were an idiot all the time? Right. Mm-hmm. You know when you know that you're not. Um, you know, it must've been just immensely frustrating and, and it still goes on today. You know, there's still people who, who make that assumption. They see somebody in a, in a wheelchair, you know, maybe with, uh, with some sort of, of, uh, obvious, uh, physical involvement, then they pull out a communication device and start carrying on a conversation with you, you know, or they're a th- the- theoretical physicist. Yes. Guys so smart, Ryan can't even That's say right. his <laughs> What's his name? Stephen Hawking. Stephen That's Hawking, right. yeah. 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 There's lot yeah, we have lots of examples in mm-hmm. our in our world of AAC that uh, that people have live lived and done things way beyond expectations. So it's uh yeah, we we limit people by our um things that we do or think about them um, yeah mm-hmm. rather than um again and, and people still limit folks in in i think if you have expectations people will live up to the expectations but you have limitations and they'll 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 figure that one out too so know? really so, w- would you say that uh 
things really changed with the the advent of the dynamic display is that where there was like a big jump in terms of the the what they could do with these things I think some people would say that. Um, I think at the time when dynamic displays came out, um, Prenke Romick was still um, looking at motor planning and automaticity. And with dynamic displays and this constant change, um, people couldn't become as automatic as they were in the past when it was a, a static keyboard. Um, as, just as same as there's a lot more visual needs um, and physical needs uh, needed in order to be able to access a uh, a display that's constantly changing. I think you have to sort of think of yourself when you're looking at if your keyboard that you used on a, compu a computer um, was constantly changing, then you'd have to be always checking it out to make sure that um, visually checking it out, which is a different cognitive change that you would actually have to be more uh, involved with your device than to be able to to sit there and um, when you look at touch typists versus people who are actually uh, one hand one finger typists they're they're having to look at their keyboard in order to be able to follow through but with touch typists they're actually looking at you and being able to type at the same time and so the advent of dynamics displays did change uh, the 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 face of uh, AAC big time and and there was reluctance on PRC to go ahead and, and move towards dynamic displays. But the marketplace drove them to be able to do that because all of their competitors were doing um, dynamic displays. And, and most of the, uh, I would say, the teams that were supporting people using AAC saw, saw them as being state-of-the-art without thinking about um the individual who is using it. So, I mean, I have, I think it has moved forward and I think dynamic displays and touch tablets now are de rigueur. I mean, everybody has them. So you have to, you have to be part of the world today, but there's still folks that stick on to um, using a, a communication device that has what we call a static display or something like a keyboard on it, that they're accessing it that way. Those were the questions I had is now that we have, you know, iPads and Android tablets and, you know, hundreds of different communication apps on these devices, is there advantages or disadvantages to having a mainstream device over a dedicated communication device? Well, I think I sort of inferred a little bit about that in that people are now spending too much time teaching people how to use Facebook and going on the internet and doing their email and stuff where they're not actually doing the communication system. So it sort of blurs the lines a little bit of being able to teach that system to somebody is that if you get so caught up that Windows isn't doing what you want it to do and this person is sitting there not being able to communicate, then what is the purpose of that communication device? Its basis is communication. So if they're, and I know people again would question me on that, being on Facebook, doing your email is a mode of communication. Yes, it is. But if you can't do face-to-face -face communication, then what's the point? Right. But there are apps that have made headway, such as ProLoco, right? Like, where, where would that kind of fit into the whole communication arena? Um, again, it's not a product that I'm happy with. <laughs> okay. So, you know, it's interesting that you would bring that up because I think there's other ones that are better than ProLoco to go. But um, I know a lot of people support it big time. Um, again, it started out as a phrase-based vocabulary in this modern day and age when people knew core vocabulary was really important. Right. It was using phrases and sentences. And so people were still stepping back to that same old, oh, this is faster for somebody to be able to use a phrase in combination with another phrase and they'd be able to say it, right. those sorts of things. But I think they've actually developed a system now that has some core vocabulary. So it's moved into the arena of, yes, having that. Again, um, when you put an iPad in front of a kid who's been really used to playing games and stuff on it, and you'd say, okay, you can't play a game anymore. You can only use it to talk. And will that kid be happy with that? No. Right. And so, you know, there's lots of things that you have to consider when you, yes, it's, it's moved ahead, advanced people's knowledge of AAC and they're, they're wanting their kids more to be able to talk and stuff like that. But there's some, again, some real concerns about what you're introducing when you, when you bring in a system that has multiple, um, things about it instead of just being a, a dedicated communication device. Right. There's, there's all kinds of positive and, and negatives. I mean, the, the positive side of it is that um, if you're using mass-produced technology, uh, it's, it's always going to be cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dedicated communication devices are extremely expensive. But um, 
you know, you can you can get an Android tablet for a hundred bucks these days. Right. Um, and, now, an app, and an app for a couple hundred, and there you've got a system. Yeah, and put and, a and case got, on it and a speaker, and yeah. yeah. But then you also have to look at okay, well, how how robust is that system going to be? You know, if you've got somebody who, you know, we, we talked about the drooling earlier, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got somebody who drools, is that device really going to survive that? Right. Um, is it, is it going to be able to survive a drop? Um, you know, these are, these are all other things that you have to consider. And then also along with that, if you're getting a, an off the shelf device and throwing an off the shelf, um, app onto it. Uh, what are the limitations of that app? Who's going to teach that app? How how is somebody going to learn? Where's where's the support going to be? Right. So, um, you know, a, a few years ago, uh, when the iPads first came out, um, I think Aroga took a pretty big hit in in our AAC sales because everybody was jumping onto the iPad bandwagon, and we were really looking at it and wondering, wow, is this is this the way it's going to be in the future? Is is this going to kill the AAC market? Well, what we found is that over time, it, it didn't. It came back around. It, and, it came back around yeah. because people recognized that there were there were limitations to uh, the off-the-shelf tablet. Uh, not the least of which is, hey, if you've got a system sitting there that plays Angry Birds and you've got a sibling, <laughs> uh, good luck with your communication device, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and also you have to consider is what about those kids that aren't being able to direct access and touch the, being able to touch a screen. So those scanners and those eye gaze right. folks and those head pointer guys, you know, uh, you know, th- are they feeling, you know, a lot of them don't want to use their systems anymore because they want to use an iPad and the mm-hmm. iPad doesn't provide that kind of thing for them. So, you know, there's lots of things that you need to take into consideration. And oftentimes uh, with uh, apps, we all know that we, we, surf around and we hear things about good apps and somebody will say, oh, yeah, I've just had found out about a really great app. You should try it out. And so parents were doing the same. They were they didn't know the apps. They just got a recommendation for somebody that it was a good app. Was it a good app for their kid? Who knows? They right. just went ahead and bought it and and then sort of said to their speech pathologist or their teacher or something, oh, this is um, so little Joey's uh, communication device. He's using blah, blah, blah with blah, blah, blah. And then the teacher goes and looks at it and goes like, well, little Joey doesn't know any of this. And how is little Joey going to learn all of this? And how how am I going to use this to teach little Joey this system and stuff? And they would never have chosen that particular piece of equipment or that app for that little Joey. So, yeah, there's lots of things to consider. When so it's really important that. to have a thorough assessment done of yep. each child's or each person's yep. needs before yeah, you actually recommend a device. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. I think that would be the prime thing is you've got to have a support network behind you. You've got to have somebody who's in agreement with what you do and, and trust that they're, they're making decisions. Speech language pathologists do a lot of years of training in order to be able to come, have the experience and the, and the knowledge that they have in order to be able to choose that kind of a system. And I know that's not always the case if you don't have a, a speech path in your area. Kind of you have to be out there on your own. And so, yeah, I think there is a real positive using um, off-the-shelf technology for people. At least it gets them started thinking about it and right. and not sort of just saying, oh, my little guy can't do it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's some real pros. But there's still those folks out there who cannot use a touch screen. They don't have the ability, even though they can touch other things, they don't have enough pressure in their finger in order to be able to activate the screen. Or we all know that you have to be able to swipe and do all those sorts Mm -hmm. of things in order to get at some of this technology. And they don't have the ability to do that. So uh, we are asking them to be able to do it. So I'm really glad that we haven't gone totally on to off the shelf stuff because I wonder what would happen to those individuals that don't have the ability to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. And some manufacturers actually are leveraging off the shelf stuff. Uh, you know, you look at a company like Saltillo yeah. and uh, a lot of their devices are based around mainstream devices, but they've, they've added on to them. They've, you know, right. put them inside ruggedized cases. They've added amplifiers because, you know, the speakers on most tablets are not sufficient to, you know, have anybody hear speech output in a, you know, a loud environment. So you need an amplifier put on there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, other manufacturers, Prent Giromic went down that road and discovered that, you know what, the using mainstream devices was just a total pain in the patoot. Um, you know, they, they went out and they started using off the shelf tablets and doing the same thing that Sol, Soltillo has done. Um, and, uh, 
they found that um, they just weren't rugged enough for for a lot of their uh, users. So they went back and and started having a, a tablet manufactured specifically for them to their spec. Right. Um, well, so another that, thing so with off the shelf be... stuff is, I mean, what would a company like Dell care about you because something they've changed their operating system or they've done a piece of hardware that suddenly impacts the software that you've built for that tablet and all of a sudden nothing's working and then you go go to Dell and say hey and they go look at you and go like okay uh, we you buy a thousand or two thousand devices from us in a year and we're selling umpteen million a year do we really yeah, care right. we, we you sold, know we sold that many to the school district down the road yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you know there is some real stuff to consider and i i think and also when it comes to like off the mainstream and we're Unfortunately, having to go the route of, of uh, dynamic displays or big displays or touch tablets, however you want to call them, it's just become what everybody uses now. But try and look at your device outside and be able to access it in a bright, sunny day like today and take your device out and be able to get, you can't even see it. I mean, the sun just reflects off that puppy like nobody's business. And so if you want to talk outside to, if you want to go to the park or something like that, forget it. You can't use your communication device. So there's something to be said for having like a, a back going backwards in some of the technology that we want and go back to a keyboard type of thing in order to be able to get at the screen. So there's been, you know, lots of talk about where we're actually going with communication devices and we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see in time as time goes on. Well, well, speaking of that then, so what are there any innovations happening right now or well people always ask me you know like what where do you think the future will hold and and i actually think there's going to be i don't know brainwave technology or some energy that we're going to be able to actually communicate our thoughts without actually having voice output that to be able to actually communicate to somebody by just looking at them and saying in our head what we want to say to people and they're again interpreting what we're saying so it'll be interesting to see what the future holds yeah there's some there's some really cool uh work going on right now with um um what's it called uh mind yeah mind reading it's not it's mind like, reading. yeah i'm going to say brainwave <laughs> technology you yeah, know there's ESP. a lot of stuff yeah. going on yeah yeah it'll um, be interesting it'll be interesting to talk to some uh somebody who's sort of involved in that field and just see where they're going with it because there's i think there's some pretty amazing things that are happening that we are not aware of yet and so we'll see yeah the, as best i've seen uh so far the that technology um is is starting to become cheaper and cheaper but it still has its limitations uh for example um the the current state of the art for the, this brainwave reading technology is you you wear a, a sensor net over your head uh, well, in order for that sensor net to be able to accurately pick up your brain waves, it has to have direct contact to the skin. So say, say goodbye to your hair, for starters, <laughs> and, and make sure your head shaved Already done. All, all the time. <laughs> yeah, for you some know. of you guys, you can, yeah. you can do that. You haven't seen my scalp yet. yet. <laughs> but, um, but you also have to have uh, a gel applied uh, on the sensor as well. It has to be kept moist all the time. Um, so the gel dries out all of a sudden your brainwave thing isn't communicating anymore. You're not communicating anymore. Somebody's got to reapply the gel maybe cause you've got a physical disability. Otherwise, why would you be wearing this thing? Mm. Right. Um, so there, there's definite limitations to the technology. It needs to, it needs it to take another step forward before it'll be practical as a, as a, uh, means of, uh, um, input. But it's coming, and and it it will arrive one day. Yeah. So. Well, just like eye gaze now is is so huge. I mean, it's probably the the biggest advance in the last ten years, I would think, when it comes to augmentative communication is is using eye gaze technology. So it'll be it's it is really interesting. I guess when I started forty years ago, not me forty years ago, but you know, twenty four years ago, did I actually imagine that? I'd be where I am using the kind of communication devices and the technology. No, I had no idea. So it's just, you know, when touch talkers and that kind of stuff were around, it was, it was amazing then. And so we'll just continue to be amazed. Yeah. 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 It's a constant evolution. And AAC is one of those areas of assistive technology where they're, they're always willing to look at new and emerging technologies 
because they are so often trying to solve a really niche uh, problem for somebody. So, you know, they were early adopters of eye gaze technology. I mean, eye, eye gaze technology was used for fighter pilots and, uh, and AAC. Just like joysticks, though. I mean, being able to use a joystick. I mean, yeah. an amount, I mean mice didn't, in, in, uh, weren't around then. So it's just, yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. But, you know, we, we may also take into consideration with medical advances, be able to help folks so that these sorts of conditions and syndromes won't be uh, as prevalent as they are now. And so the need will not, not be there. So it'll be quite interesting what the future holds. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what else? Do we have any, any final any final thoughts on uh, on the state of AAC? Anything that we that we missed? Well, I didn't want to. So it's not on the state of AAC, but Steve has been there, and I know I talked recently to um, another clinician in the Vancouver area, and she had been to Bruce Baker's retreats down in Pittsburgh, and she said it was absolutely amazing. So if you do get a chance to get down to Pittsburgh, you just have to pay your way there. And you'll actually, if you contact uh, Semantic Compactions or minspeak.com and, and get on there, they'll actually send you a voucher for travel expenses. Um, they won't cover all of your expenses. But once you get to Pittsburgh, then um, you're fed and bed by, well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> that, sounds, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Bruce Baker, I'm going. I'm going. We'll provide a bed for you and accommodation food. And food. Accommodation and food. Um, anyway, He's so. He's an excellent host, a very yeah. generous host. Yeah, so, and you get to attend his retreat, and he has not only himself there, but he has some very um, high profile speakers um, Gail Van Tatenho, Carolyn Musselwhite. Who was there, Steve, when you were there? You're asking me to remember names, and I'm no good at that. Okay. Russell Cross comes, you know, so um, the, he does have a lot of presenters that are there. And, of course, you get the social networking of the other individuals that were there. So he gets really booked up quickly with the, his um, retreats. I call them retreats. I don't know if what if there would be a different name for them. But I, I just find that workshops. it's just, yeah, workshops. Yeah. But it is, you're sort of immersed in it for the weekend and stuff. And it's just, uh, it's it's absolutely amazing. So if anybody has a chance to go and they want to learn a little bit more about AAC and the history of Minspeak and Unity and, and um, just learn therapy materials and ways to teach it. And just as Steve says, drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, j just having the chance to interact with Bruce, uh, you know, stay in his home, um, you know, get, get full on access to his brilliance is, is just completely invaluable. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not getting any younger, so, you know, there, there's going to be a time when people won't be able to do this. And, yeah. uh, if, if there's any opportunity for you to go down there and, and, uh, learn directly from Bruce, boy, I'd, I'd jump on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some other folks from around this area that are trying to do that. So, yeah, I know education dollars are slim, but if you can, um, that would it would be. I think you wouldn't regret a minute of it. So, I, and I guess, you know, if you want to learn more about Unity and stuff too, I mean, um, Prentke Romick on their website has lots of online trainings. You can do self-study courses. Um, the aacinstitute.org has lots of information there as well. Um, you know, as, as Rob says, you have, we have our websites and everything, but Pranky Romick and Sotillo Corporation have their same. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's lots and lots of information out there if people want more. And of course you can contact us, um, and, uh, or me specifically, if you want to talk to me, um, and yeah, just get to get to get some of our energy and some of our information and, and take it from there. Yeah. When we'll link to all those sites on the, uh, in the show notes. But we, I mean, we sort of jumped around a lot and talked a lot about a lot of different things today. And I'm sure people are either sitting there on, on the other end of listening to this and going and shaking their heads and saying, you guys missed out on some great big things. But this is just our okay, thoughts. They always do that. <laughs> That's right. This is just going to be our thoughts show. on it. And yeah, we might have some things real wrong. And I guess if, if some of those things are real wrong, let us know. Certainly, I mean, and this you is... Can, and this, you can email your thoughts too. <laughs> Ryan. Email address is atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. So smooth. Mm -hmm. mm. What's the website address? 
www.atbanter.com. And we have a new website, so check it out. Absolutely. And we have a Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed. And a Google Plus page, and a YouTube channel. We're amazing. Yeah, you guys are. <laughs> I'm are amazed. freaking fancy. <laughs> we are. I feel like I want to open up the lines now for people. That's to right. yeah, we'll take callers now. We'll take callers now. Call us. <laughs> We're a call-in program now. <laughs> well, it feels like it's a call-in program. And we have Rachel at the front. <laughs> What's your question, Rachel? <laughs> What's for lunch? <laughs> Excellent. Well, right. you know, thanks, Elaine, for coming in and, and talking to us. Well, thanks for having me. That's been really exciting to be able to talk about this. I could, you know, people people who know me know that I could talk on this kind of subject forever. <laughs> so it's nice to have a time limit and specific questions. Awesome. All right. Well, if that is the case, then uh, let's back this thing up. Goodbye, goodbye. pack, pack this thing up. Pack said back this thing up. No, I didn't. I said pack. He said back. It sounded like back. It did sound kind of like back. It did sound like back. Play it back. You can play it back and see that you said back instead of pack. probably. All right. But we should pack it up. All right. Let's, yeah. If that's the case, then let's pack it up and put this thing to bed. So I have been Rob Minow. And I'm Ryan Fleury. I remain Steve Barkley. And I'm always Elaine Holtham. See, I like this. I like these outros. <laughs> All right, everybody, we will see you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A dot com. Music provided by bensound.com.